You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. to the World Football Programme on 107.9 FM. World Cup coming into round two. A lot of late nights, I guess, from everyone. Is there anyone out there who can say they don't know what the World Cup is and think it's soccer or football? I actually heard the word soccer mentioned a couple of times this week, which is pretty <laughs> cool in context. I'm pretty happy with that. Got to say a lot here in Australia, Vince, I reckon, with AFL, footy, other codes, I reckon anyway. But World Cup has been fantastic. Got Dave Kindness and Vince Matassa in the studio. G'day, boys. Good morning. G'day, Penny. G'day, Dave. Yeah, good evening. Dave, how are you feeling about Scotland not being in the cup? Who's your allegiance to? Oh, uh, look, I'm wearing it. Good lad. Scotland yeah. B's in the cup, aren't they? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's, Gosh, that, there's that many Scotsmen playing for Australia anyway. There must be about 20 in the squad. Yeah, I know. It's funny that. Yeah. Rose, my daughter, she's listening in. She goes, who's that guy? That's one of the strikers for Australia. But he doesn't speak Australian, Mum. <laughs> yes, it's a long does. tradition of, of Austra- you know, Scottish-born Australian players. Yeah. From, from way back, you know, oh, yeah. the 60s, 70s. So, yeah, I think... Um, it's it's kind of reflecting where we've been, but I, I do love the Australian team having that new influx of young African players now, African Australian players. Yeah, and that's the future for Australia if, if we want to succeed. Yeah, and they're only just getting to the cusp of the team. Yeah, um, but you know maybe the World Cup and the one after. I think the difference in skill they're bringing will um, will give us a chance to perhaps you know go a bit further than we have. Yeah. yeah, multicultural. It's it's amazing, isn't it? If you look at all the teams in a line in a photo, you could say there's the African, there's the uh, Korean, there's the United States, and Australia's a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. yeah, it really reflects what we're all about. How are you feeling after last week's game, Vince, the charity match for Glory? Uh, yes, I'm just starting to recover, I think. Uh, a, a lovely turnout again at uh, Balcatta's ground and raised a lot of money for Perth Children's Hospital, which they do every year. So it was good and uh, good to catch up with a few old friends as well. Good to see you walk in. <laughs> yeah, I only just got out of bed. <laughs> no, I made sure I held a bit. And I think a few of the guys didn't try and over push themselves. A couple of them uh, went for a jump for a header. And then you saw them talk to themselves. I was going, yeah, that wasn't the good idea. <laughs> oh, maybe I won't try that. It wasn't a good idea. 
Uh, any other goalkeepers on the pitch? You'd swap on the pitch at all? Uh, I did. I did go into the pitch in the second half. No, I was the only only ex goalkeeper. I think a few of the ex Glory goalkeepers are probably not in Perth anymore, perhaps, which is how it helps getting me a call up. But a couple of the guys wanted to go in goals and. I had a run around on the wing in the second half and managed to miss a couple of goals. So that was disappointing. Nice. Don't you have seen your run around? I mean, and for the theory, the uh, the game ended uh, four all. I think uh, Glory were up around four one. Um, and usually in the second half, goals start getting disallowed and maybe some interesting refereeing decisions because it's always a close game. It pretty much always ends in a draw. Yeah. And nice. it happened again this time. And uh, the uh, doctors and nurses took out the title on penalties. Of which they were t- the the glory penalties were taken by the referee and the linesman actually. So I don't, I don't know what's going on. There. But again, it's I mean that's part of the day as well yeah. to, to make sure everyone goes home happy. And it, it was good. Good. There's lots of doctors and nurses there, I guess. Yeah, and, and you know Gareth Gareth organised organised this every year. The, the doctors and nurses this year had trials. We understand to make the team. <laughs> um, I'd played last year, so I wasn't surprised. There's some really good players in that team. Yeah, and uh, a few of them were pretty pumped up as well. And I think uh, we were probably lucky we had Jacob Burns on our team this year because he was <laughs> able to hold his own in the midfield yeah. as tackles came flying in from these doctors and nurses. And as the uh, the pitch side commentator Bob Fig pointed out. Um, the whole Hippocratic Oath of do no harm. We, we, were wondering, <laughs> we were wondering whether these guys remembered that at one point. It was interesting. Yeah. They've had a tough time this weekend, though, the nurses. I'm they certainly have. Behind yeah. them with their protestations about uh, conditions and pay and so forth to encourage people to stay in the industry and keep the older experienced uh, people on deck while they take on uh, new staff. We all need it. Mm. We've got to look after ourselves a lot better and relieve the load or we've got to encourage all the best from the people that we've got so that they can stay, we want them to stay. Emergency services, very important. So this week we've got a stack of guests talking about all kinds of football, of course. We've got Paramount Plus and Network 10 commentator Pokua Frimpong, who is a new commentator in the Paramount area and to us, We'll talk about uh, A-League and no doubt a bit of World Cup as well. Derek Pollock will reflect on what's happened in the round one of the World Cup this week. We'll have Tom Simone, who's the former Matildas coach and New Zealand football ferns coach and now the head of women's football in the Western Sydney Wanderers set up there, have a chat to us about women's football. And Philippa Mengel, Philo, is going to join us about the recent Pan Pacific Masters Games, which is one of the largest tournaments in the world, attracts something like 20,000, 25,000 people. Um, I see they're going to go annual. I'm pretty sure they were like biannual or two yearly before, so not quite sure what's happening there, but uh, it's been successful as always, and we'll wrap what's happening there and see how far away teams come from around the world to participate in that. A uh, big thank you to all of our supporters. We really appreciate all the members and listeners that join the station for a nominal fee. It helps us stay on air and pay for studio time being a community station. Thank you very much. Futsal WA, Oswest Fencing and Rod Iron and Gate and Fence Hardware. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. You can catch the show on the podcast later if you miss any part of it, theworldfootballprogram.com.au. And thanks very much to the Templeman family, Nick Templeman, and Miranda Templeman when she hops in every now and again and tells us what she's up to playing over East in football at the moment and with the young Matildas. Guys, we are going to go to a break and then we're going to catch up with our first guest. This is Penn, Dave and Vince on the World Football Programme. Thank you, everybody, for listening in and stay tuned. 107.9 FM, your local station.
Welcome back to the World Football Program on 107.9 FM. Catch us on the podcast on the worldfootballprogram.com.au. If you miss any part of the show, Penn, Dave and Vince in the studio. You know, that actually rolls off the tongue really well. Penn, Dave and Vince. Okay. Yeah, so you should come back and do it again sometime, guys. Yeah. yeah. All right? We've got our first guest on the line, Pokua Frimpong, Paramount and Network 10 commentator. That's actually a whole lot to say in one sentence. Good morning. Good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon, guys. It, it, it is. It's a, I, I feel like I should have come up with a little bit something a little bit more snappy. But next time, next time I'll have something a little more snappy with it. Yeah, that's it. Next time we'll just say good afternoon, Procure, and everyone will know who you are. That will work. That will work. <laughs> Give us a little bit of a portfolio of your football um, background. Well, I've loved football since I was a kid, but um, likewise, I've been working at Football Nation Radio in, um, in Melbourne for the last few years and this year I've been commentating the A-League Women's which is a really exciting thing and I've written a little bit for competition and uh, for a few websites so it's uh, I'm all around football all the time. Good, good to hear. That's what we're about to. So forgive us if we get distracted in the conversation that happens uh, without us knowing <laughs> it sometimes. Um, no, so no, it's okay. Just for everybody out there, of course, we're um, into the round one of the World Cup, so the A-League men is having a hiatus until mid-December, but the A-League women are into their second round this week, and good for us, the Perth Glory women are playing at home first time, I don't know how long. <laughs> What's a home game? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really looking forward to that. Have you um, <coughs> followed across the, the teams, and have you got any comments on uh, how teams are, are doing and looking so far? Yeah, uh, for, for Perth Glory, I, I'm a massive fan of uh, Alex Aparkis. I think he's done a tremendous job with all the issues they had last season with not being able to play at home. I think he's a really intelligent coach, and they've got a great program there with the likes of Hannah Lowry playing some great football. But I think I'm, I think I, I'm just excited to see the Perth fans get to see their uh, the girls play at home this season because they are a good team and they're exciting to watch. But for the rest of the competition, it's at the start of the season, we haven't started the way I thought we would start, but there are some surprise teams like United playing some good football at the minute and the other favourites, Victory and Sydney, still trying to click into gear after losing in uh, the first week of the competition. Yeah, true. So the results last week were Perth Glory and Canberra drew to all, and that's Perth Glory on the road. Wellington Phoenix, who drew the biggest crowd, and I think that was pretty close to the grand final crowd from earlier in yes. the year. Which was around five thousand attending, so yeah, that's that's good. Um, in fact, if we got that at Perth Glory tomorrow, Vince, we'd max out our stadium. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're playing at Macedonia Park, Bacure, and that's kind of a. I think it's going to be the permanent home for the Glory women, but it's the temporary home for the A League guys until the HBF Park gets upgraded for the World Cup, which we all hope will go yeah. according to plan. I always like the smaller stadiums for the alley women just to create an atmosphere with a lot of the fans. And obviously we're not drawing the, the big crowd that we would we hope to see in the future, but you want the atmosphere. So smaller grounds just um, allow that to, that environment to be created. Yeah, there's 11 teams in the A-League women and 12 in the men. So we've got a much longer season this year. Um, I think it's about 20 rounds. We finish in about April this yeah, year. Yeah, full home and away season this year. Yeah, it's great. And it's getting so close to almost reflecting like the men's A-League season in the, in the length and, and so forth. 
I'd like to see the, the crowds and the, the games at the same places, you know, just so that we can in the same breath say, well, the men are playing here, the women are playing here, or this game and then that game. But we know from watching Perth Glory games where we've tried to put double headers together, the crowds don't all stay for the for the games. It's a long Yeah, afternoon. no, it's... Yeah, it, it, I think with the Women's World Cup coming next year, I think we'll see a high, like a higher influx of fans coming to these games and there'll be more attention heading into the A-League women's season. Maybe this season, but I think more so the season after because we might see some players who've played in this competition get a chance in the Matilda squad. But I really hope sooner rather than later we do get the men and the women you know, playing at the same grounds and you know knowing what to expect and the clubs have been fully dedicated to both teams you know, equally. Yeah, you're right with the... Um, players wanting to get into the Matildas. Uh, for those of you out there, unsure the Women's World Cup is next year in Australia, Australia and New Zealand, actually. But um, the Matildas won't be playing here in Perth. I'm going to say that until it actually happens, but that's just my dream, all right? <laughs> We'd like to see Sam Kerr playing in Perth. Um, so we've got um, players playing in our W League, not W League, A League women, um, looking to get a berth in the Matildas squad next year. We've still got lots of games to happen in the lead up to that, July, August next year. So lots of squad changes can occur. Um, we've got plenty of Matildas, especially Brisbane Raw, and Katrina Gorry is one that springs to mind. She's um, come back after having a baby, um, playing in the Matildas, and is just going to strengthen up the Brisbane Raw again this season. Um, and the rest of the fixtures, by the way, round two, uh, Phoenix are playing uh, United, Western United, Brisbane Raw are playing... Uh, Canberra, Sydney are playing Melbourne Victory, Newcastle Jets are playing Western Sydney Wanderers, Gloria playing Adelaide, and I don't think we've ever missed scoring in an Adelaide versus Glory game. Someone can produce me wrong uh, on that, but I'm not sure that means we've won all the games, but we've definitely scored goals, so we can look forward to that tomorrow. And um, Melbourne City have the bye. So there's one team each week that will have a bye. And just for the Glory fans out there, if you're under 16, there's something called the Liberty A-League Pass, and I'm not quite sure where you can locate it. It escapes me right at this moment. Um, but if you hop on to um, the Keep Up, I think, um, page, you can find a link to the Liberty A-League Pass. So if you're under the age of 16, just for the women's games, I think it is, you can get a pass Otherwise, it, it'll cost you about I don't know, somewhere between 10 to 20 bucks to get into the game tomorrow. I assume that's about average. Do you have any idea what it costs to get into games over East? Because yeah, it's, it's, it's about, that's about the average. And it's, um, it's pretty, that's what's great about the early women's. It's easy for people to get to. It's not, you know, you're not really digging deep into your pocket to go watch a really nice um, game of football on the weekend. So, yeah, that's around about the price. And I think for the... Uh, Liberty A-League pass. I think it's any player who's under uh, age 16 who's registered um, to play football. Yeah. Uh, they can. Uh, all the games are free to go to. I believe. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've um, registered with Football West, um, then go for it. Um, if I can find the link, I'll put it up on our World Football page there. Um, totally escaped me what I was going to say. Because I was, I was just. It's Vince here. I was just going to ask, how do you see the uh, the imports this year into the um, Women's A-League? In the, I mean, you know, across on the men's side and plenty of leagues around the world have always battled with finding the balance between importing the right type of foreign players that lift the league and, and the profile of the league. But you've also got to worry about them taking the position, particularly in a World Cup year, of perhaps some of our younger girls who are trying to get in the team. So how do you see the imports this year? Are there any for us to Not, keep an eye out for? Yeah, I think for 
for Western United, who are a really exciting team for their first season in the competition, they have Jess McDonald, who is a former World Cup winner with um, the United States team. She's been a really good import. And the Newcastle Jets, they've got about like four or five American girls. But the thing, the thing that's changed um, for the, in the A-League women's is that we're getting imports from a lot younger who are just getting the start of their careers as opposed to bigger names. So it's a lot more development. There are some established players. But I think the league has done a decent job at getting in international talent that's going to be exciting for the competition whilst also having a balance of uh, local talent because a lot of these teams in the A-League women's this season are getting players from their academies in there. Um, so don't think there is many people missing out. So maybe when the, the W League started, we were getting like big names and some of the younger players weren't really getting an opportunity. Yeah. Do you think there's something to do with uh, players looking... I mean, you'd have to throw some of these international names at me, but are they currently playing in their national team? So they might be travelling to Australia for the World Cup next year? In terms of playing uh, in the A-League women? Yes. Well, there, there aren't maybe there aren't that many who are going to be playing uh, in their uh, in their national teams. So the only few are like Jacqueline Savitsky, who plays for Western United, plays for Alan Stadich's uh, Philippine side. So it's maybe some of those Asian um, countries. We have some of those players. But in terms of like the American imports, a lot of those are very far out of the reach for the United States national team. And, and probably the other factor, I guess, in the last few years has been the, the huge um, improvement of some of the European leagues, both in terms of quality and financial um, money available for some of the players. And I, I suspect, yeah, for a lot of those European players and US players who considered coming out to Australia to supplement their perhaps US season, they're generally going to Europe now, is, is my sense, with all those bigger clubs starting to have full-time women's teams. Yeah, they really are. And we're seeing that as well with a lot of Australian players. When they're getting the opportunity to go and play... Uh, play in England, things like that, even if it is um, not the FAWSL, but just a league below, they will go there. And I think that's the next step for the A-League women's is to get to a different level where it can compete with some of the bigger competitions in Europe. Because previously we have had some really incredible talent play here, but because of the time we play our season and the NWSL in America plays their season, it's a little bit trickier. So we see a lot of international talent coming on loan and then leaving in February to go back to get season in the NWFL. We've been kind of desired as the destination league in the past for that reason. We've been in between, but now with the, um, I don't know, the advent of more professional leagues and, um, I mean, we've lost a lot of our Australian players to the European leagues, for example, the um, English Super League. Um, Sam and Caitlin and um, Lana Kennedy, I'm just trying to think of others, and they've all gone there to play big bucks and a lure of quality football, whereas before all these leagues would be offset and we'd have a lot of them land here in Australia, so we got to see some pretty decent players in the past. So, yeah, things do change, but that's, that's the way things go, right, as things get bigger and grow and in quality all around the world. Yeah, no, it is the case. But I think that's the interesting place about um, the A-League women now is that we it is an opportunity for people to go and see people before they make their big turn, like their big break, like as we got to see like Sam play in this competition before she went overseas. That's a lot more of what we're getting as opposed to the finished product in this competition, yeah. which is, is has its pros and its cons. But 
it's it's why the league's exciting because it's younger talent, you know, emerging and having their breakout seasons. But we are seeing a lot of our big stars go and play in the FAW. So more competitive league, which ultimately leads to a better national team because they are playing in systems that are, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more professional, and uh, their equipment and things like that are at a higher standard than. Uh, in Australia at the is, is there any younger players you want to uh, shout out for for us to keep an eye out this season? As you say, very much an opportunity for them to develop their game and become household names in the next couple of years. Is there anyone you'd, you'd point out for us to have a look at? Yeah, well, uh, since, since I am speaking to you guys, one of my favourite players in the competition is Hannah Lowry. I think she's incredible Thank on you. the ball. and she's, uh, <laughs> She is so incredibly intelligent for a player of such a young age and that system that Alex Park has just created is allowing her to develop. And sometimes we see with players, they get rushed to get into the national team because they're good. But she's been given the opportunity just to grow for Perth and get better. And then I think when she gets the opportunity to go into the Matildas, she'll be sensational because she's got all the skills and attributes that lead to a successful um, Matilda. Totally agree. Now, um we should just have a chat about the A-League men. They are on their break. Next game's 9th of December. Their average crowds have been... Um, I don't know, they haven't averaged out to anything, really, between 3,000 and 34,000 up and down, depending on the game and the stadium they're playing in. Um, sitting on top of the table at the moment is Melbourne City over Western Sydney Wanderers, Adelaide, MacArthur, Central Coast, and I have to say, pushing up the bottom of the table is Perth Glory. So we'll move on from that really quickly. Um, <laughs> news news out just this week is Patrick Kisnorbo, the uh, Melbourne City... I always go to say Man City, but of course they're the owners of the club. Um, Melbourne City coaches off to the French League One, which is pretty exciting. But I have to correct some of the stories that came out that said he's the only or the first... Uh, coach from Australia to go and coach high-level football in Europe. Can you tell me who else has gone there? Um, so, obviously, we've got Ange at Celtic at the moment. I, I think the, the, the narrative that was going is that Patrick first time we've had someone in the big five leagues, but it's an incredible achievement for him to be in, um, in France at the moment. Uh, but I want to see how he goes because, obviously, he's had the opportunity, Patrick, to have probably the best players and the best resources in this in the A-League men's, but in France he probably won't have that, so it'll be a different point of coaching that he'll have to do. But that's some, that's some great stuff. Uh some great, good run of uh, Aussie coaches at the moment. It, do, it does seem a big jump, you're right, because, I mean, Kevin Muscat, I know, went to Belgium as his first step into Europe and I think only lasted three or four months. Tony Popovich was in Turkey and perhaps it was even less. Uh, and there's a lot of factors, you know, it's completely not to do with their own ability. But uh, to go to the French league then without one of these little stepping stone leagues seems huge. I have to admit, I was, was pretty shocked. I mean, it is another Man City affiliate club, so that's the connection, but it's still a big jump. Yep. No, it, it really is. But I think for, for City Group, they've in, they're in, internally they they have a lot of trust in the people that they they put they put in places in these clubs because they are a representation themselves. So they kind of have the same philosophy around their playing style and the way their organisation is run. So it might be an easier transition for him, but it is still a very big jump, and he's going to have to um, change and adapt uh, when he gets to France. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to follow that story and how he goes and does that changing and adapting. And Joe Montemuro is the other one who's coaching uh, in Italy. Juventus, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the ladies. The, uh, what yes. do you call them? Juve Femme? I can't remember what they Femme, call them. Yeah, I, it depends which uh, European country it is. But um, no, Joe Montemuro, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I was quite sad to see him when he left um, the Arsenal women's side and head to, head to Juventus. But um, no, he's been doing an incredible job and... Some people have tried to say he should be the next Matildas coach, but I'm not sure yet. Yes, he seems to make some pretty smart career moves. A bit like Ange, he kind of gets to a level where he's happy with, needs a bit more of a challenge. So he kind of gets something that finds a place that is going to work for him to have the right support and the right environment so that he can then improve again and then off he goes and finds another place. I think Joe's a bit like that. I think you're right. I'd like to see him in the Matildas camp as well. Yeah, no, he's a he's a great coach, and I think everywhere he's gone, there's been a level of success. Obviously, when he started, at, when he's been at City, that team was winning, um, and then he had went to Arsenal and he won the league with them, and now he's in Juventus, and there they just drawn with Arsenal this, I think, yesterday morning in the Champions League. So he's an intelligent coach, and I think if he was given the Matildas opportunity, he would he would be a he'd be a great to get. Yep. Well, uh, Pakua, thank you very much for introducing yourself and landing with us and having a chat about football. Appreciate that. And uh, you can come back and chat football with us anytime. Fantastic. I really appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, hopefully the uh, Perth can get up tomorrow and get the win. Yeah. Good one. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Bye. That was Pakua Frimpong, Paramount and Network 10 commentator. That is a mouthful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, you also forgot to mention Kevin Muscat is in Japan. Mm. Yeah. He, he took over from Ange. <coughs> and, w- and won the title uh, quite yep. well in the end. And th- yep. there's talk of him actually going over to uh, Rangers at the moment who are without a coach. <laughs> and, uh, he used could to you imagine for them, having didn't he? An- he did. He yep. certainly did. So he's well known there. And he's an Ange disciple. Could you imagine a Celtic Rangers <laughs> derby with, with Ange versus <laughs> his, his apprentice yeah. against each other? So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a crazy idea. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, yeah, Rangers sacked their coach recently. So there is a bit of chatter around Kevin Muscat, who's finished his season in Japan. Okay. One, of, one of the interesting things about um, Patrick Gisnorbo Giz- <coughs> is for Australian coaches, there was always the suggestion that for them to go into a big league, they just wouldn't be able to get the respect of the players. And obviously getting the respect in the change room, maybe you might start. But as soon as you have one or two losses, unless the players have belief in their coach and his ability to coach that level, yep. you're gone, it's finished. And as an Australian coach... That was always really hard to get, unless you'd had an amazing playing career, like a Harry Kew or something. But perhaps now that's changed with Andrew's success in Celtic, albeit it is, it is yep. Scotland, not the top league. But it feels like this move for Patrick might not have happened five years ago pre-Ange because the risk of the players going, why have we got a kangaroo coaching us? Yeah, you know, like, exactly. you know, <laughs> your first 2-0 loss at home, the, the yep. players are going, this is ridiculous. But, but it feels like perhaps Andrew's helped now open the door. And I know he's talking yeah. about that. For uh, to at least give Australian coaches a chance. I mean, they've got to get success, but it allows yep. them to maybe cop a bit of a bumpy start and keep going rather than, you know, people just going, well, we're never going to listen to Australia. What were we thinking? You know? I feel yeah. he's also mentoring in whatever way that works when he's there at the end of a phone call or catch up for a coffee mm. in that environment, just, uh, you know, bounce ideas around. I feel that he's that kind of guy that those disciples look up to. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. always willing. And he spoke a bit recently about... Um, 
taking Harry Kuehl under his wing because yep. he said, yep. uh, he said Harry Kuehl reminded me a bit of myself. He had a few coaching goes and it didn't quite work out and I started doubting myself and, and I needed someone to kind of, it would have been, I had someone take me under my wing and say, you'll be all right, you know, let's get a bit of stability. And he, he wanted to give Harry Kuehl a bit of breathing space to develop his own coaching craft because, you know, from what he could see, Harry Kuehl's very keen. Yep. Uh, wasn't taking easy jobs. He was taking some pretty tough ones down the lower league. So he wanted to just give him that bit of support for a couple of years. Who knows if Harry Kuehl will make it? It's, it's hard to know. But Ange, as you say, very driven to try and give something back to young coaches because, you know, he had a bit of a rough ride at times coming yeah. through the system. So it's really interesting. Mm. We're going to go to a break and come back and have a chat about World Cup football with Derek Pollock, our local football expert. This is Penn, Dave and Vince in the studio. Stay with us on the World Football Program. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Welcome back. It's almost like the World Cup show today. This is Penn, Dave and Vince talking football for the next couple of hours on the World Football Program. Our guest now is Derek Pollock. Good morning, Derek. Morning, how are you? Very good. We're talking excitedly about everything football off air. What's taken your fancy in the World Cup so far? Uh, just to the amount of extra time that's been, or the injury time that's gone on for every game, it's been quite interesting with VAR as well as, you know, trying to, um, you know, yeah, I guess keep some stoppages on the actual clock. It's very exciting, isn't it? And everyone can see the clock, but the referee doesn't always stop it when the extra time equals what it says on the clock. So he's got some discretion with well, that. He's finally paying injury time and injury time because teams used to, you know, waste time during that injury time and you'd only end up with about a minute of play. So I'm all for it. You're right. It's it's quite stunning um, how many minutes are being played. But 
I always felt like that's the real amount. And, you know, teams like Saudi Arabia were renowned for it. We saw them playing Australia and other countries who just milk the clock mercilessly <laughs> when they get 1-0 up are kind of finding that it's not quite working as well as it did in the past. So I'm a big fan. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Saudi Arabia and Oman have, have previously almost destroyed my love of football um, before with just the most cynical displays of time-wasting I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but, you know, so it's good to, yeah. I mean, again, we're still not anywhere near the amount of actual playtime we should be. The game's still going for 60-odd minutes of, of actual playtime instead of 90. But, but, you know, getting better. Yeah. What, what do you think about the... The, the silly stuff that's happening when the ref's not looking. and I mean, the videography or, you know, the coverage of the game has been amazing with all the drones everywhere and the cameras at all damn angles. You can see all the shirt pulling, the pushing, and the referee turns and everyone takes the hands off and then he turns again they put the hands back. It's like hokey pokey sometimes. <laughs> it, yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, and, I, you know, I know there are a lot of complaints about the Saudi Arabia um, penalty against Argentina, but um, and that's kind of what you're talking about there. But... Um, yeah, I, it, you know, VAR will, yeah, it seems to catch some of it, not all of it maybe, but um, yeah, it's good that at least some of it is now getting caught. Yep, and in the first round, I think we've had all the games now. I kind of, yep, yep, we're into yeah, the second lot. Yeah, yep, feel yep. good. Um, there's been a lot of games. I've watched a lot of games. I'm very tired, but I'm excited to watch the, all these styles. And there's like about 50% of the games so far have been draws, Derek. What does that mean? Uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot, really. Um, you know, the first game of, of, of a group is always pretty cagey, or not always, but it often is pretty cagey, because if you lose your first game, it's then, yeah, you've got, you, you know, you've usually got to win your next two uh, in order to go through. So teams are, you know, as long, if we get a point for the first game, that serves as well going forward. Um, and then as the group stage goes on, it opens up a little bit more when teams suddenly feel a little bit more like, hang on, we have to actually go out and get a, get a goal here. Absolutely, yep. So what well, there wasn't too cagey in the Spain versus Costa Rica games, that's for sure. No, Spain, Spain looking very good. Yeah. Very good. What teams are you liking the look of? Yeah, it's hard to judge for the first game. Um, you know, so Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, but again, if they win another game this tournament, I'll be surprised. You know, the first game always has the, 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 the uh, opportunity to throw up some, some surprises because... The bigger teams go in possibly a little bit complacent, thinking about right, we've got the three points here. Let's think about those, and then the other, you know, the, the minnows. You know, you don't really know what to expect from them, and so then, you know, they throw up a surprise, and then other teams in the group go right. Let's not get caught out that way. Let's, you know, that's that's the sort of cautionary tale for us. So you know, so it's very interesting to to kind of judge from the first game. It's a bit hard, although I, I definitely I had three points put in for Australia against Tunisia. But after watching Tunisia-Denmark, I'm a little bit concerned about the game tonight. Um, Tunisia looked significantly better than I thought they were going to. Um, yeah, so that'll be interesting. But, um, you know, Japan. Japan um, played fantastic against Germany. And, um, and you know, thoroughly deserved um, the three points. It, it is interesting as well, the two of the biggest upsets, which you, you've mentioned there as well, the, the Saudi Arabia win and the Japan win against Germany. In, in fact, both of them probably could have been two or three goals down based on the first 40 to 50 minutes of the game and then suddenly found, you know, found their legs and got a goal and then just surged and ended up, you know, as you say, deserved winnings in both games. But for the luck of a few tight offside calls in the Saudi game and, and um, Germany not really putting, you know, they, they had something like 70% possession compared to Japan, which is the complete opposite of what Japan normally does to us and other teams. It, it was incredible. But once Japan got going and... Um, 
they looked good. And I think I remember look, talking to one, my, you know, my sons who are watching the games as well, saying, look at Japan there. They've got five guys in the box, which is how I think they scored one of their goals. Uh, the rebound came out. There was two of them there to put it in. Australia, we're, we have one if we're lucky at times because we're playing a defensive structure. And, and it does seem that the teams that have had the upsets and, as you say, that the big results have tended to gamble at different points in the match, perhaps not from the start, but they've tended to gamble and they've got away with it. And, you know, the rest is history. And I think that's been one of the themes I've seen so far in the World Cup. If you're brave enough, yeah, it can go wrong. I mean... <laughs> Do you reckon that's a, a coaching philosophy where the teams have trained enough together, they've played enough friendly matches together, so they've worked out that in their friendly matches this is, you know, what they can do. When it comes to the World Cup boys, this is plan A, B, C and D and when it happens on the pitch, you just go for it or you Well, I, I think they have they should have plans during the game, which is if we're 1-0 down with 30 minutes to go, we're going to start pressing higher up Absolutely. And, and throwing men into the box. And they've done it. And I think that's been one of the biggest criticisms of Australia and Graham Arnold, not just at the World Cup, but over, over quite a period of time, is that we had a plan A, which was to have a good structure and keep it, keep it solid. And we kept a plan A the whole match, despite yeah. being down. Yeah. And, and other teams like Japan definitely changed at one point. And even though they were um, at risk of losing more goals, they pressed men forward and got a bit lucky and got a goal. And suddenly they're in the same with Saudi Arabia. They were yeah. playing, Saudi Arabia were playing a ridiculous high line. It, it was laughable at times that there was 10 metres between where the ball was and their back four. <laughs> and they got away with it. I mean, I think Argentina, if they had that game again, would, would play some different balls. But... Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how you think, Derek, in terms of, you know, did Graham Arnold miss a trick there? Is he able to even change tactics mid-game? Certainly that's been where a lot of the criticism has been for him. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of Graham Arnold. A lot of that criticism has come from me. So, you know, I'm going you know, <laughs> to put, put my bias out there pretty early that I, I don't have any... Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure Graham Arnold is, is, is coaching at his level at the moment. And I think he's, you know, a good A-League coach, and that's kind of the limit. Um, but again, like, you know, like you've pointed out there, you know, if you're bold enough and you just go out and, and you attack, and, and this is what I loved about watching Australia under Ange Foster Coglu, sure, every now and then, we got an absolute battering, but we played football that people actually wanted to watch. Um, and, and, that's, and that's kind of what he does in Celtic. That's what he did with, with every team he's really played, or coach rather. Um, you know, in our game against France, there was... This defensive clearance that looked as though it was a backs-to-the-wall 89th minute holding on to a 1-0 lead, and it was the 29th minute of the game, uh, you know, and so there's, there's Tunisia showed you how to, and, and Saudi Arabia showed how you can sort of keep it solid. Canada showed you how you can keep it solid, keep a good defensive structure without having your striker just outside the edge of your defensive penalty area. And, and, um, and when and, you attack, and, you, you, you attack in numbers, you, you go for it, and then you get back into your shell. I think, as you say, Tunisia were quite good at that. But, uh, you, know, but you know what? Yeah. Oh, I agree with that, but it, unless they've been together enough to, to be able to do that, to implement that plan, they would go to what they know. Well, I mean, Graham Arnold's been a coach for many, many I know, years, so I know. <laughs> and, and I'm not a big Arnold fan in terms of international. I, I agree with you. I think he's... He's quite uh, tactically quite rigid, and this is where he's found out. But but all the teams that seem to have gone into games with this very rigid game plan of defensive blocks, Iran was one uh, that played like that for many games in the qualifiers. They got absolutely torn to pieces by England in that low block. Uh, yeah. I think one of the other games as well, Qatar, I don't know what's happened there, but, but some of the other teams, Australia was another one who decided, we'll, we'll just try and be defensive. Um, it hasn't worked at this World Cup, and, and that's perhaps a trend in world football at the moment, um, whether it's uh, the fitness of players tactically better. I'm, I'm not sure, but teams that are deciding to go the Mourinho defensive block 
it's not working at this World Cup for them in general so far. I don't know if that's maybe that's too much of a, of a generalisation, Derek, or is that the trend you're seeing? Well, I think you've got, to, you've got to, if you go to the defensive lot, you've just got to do it well. And, you know, if you look at all the goals France scored, you know, there were crosses from a fullback who had about a metre, two metres between him and the, and the defender, where, the, you know, the defender's just not doing anything. They're not stopping a cross. And, that you know, they're, but they're not, you know, close enough. I don't know. The, the defenders are too far away to really do anything. They're not stopping a pass. They're not stopping a cross. They're not stopping the player running at them. Passive, they're, they're just in this no-man's land. And, and that's, you know, it's about three of the goals were exactly that. There's not enough pressure. You know, one of the goals was the, um, the chip over from Menendez where there's three... <laughs> The three centre backs were, were inside our half, like quite quite a long way. I think they're outside the centre circle, and then that's how much space they had. And and again, like you can play a defensive style of football without re- retreating the entire way into your penalty area. And it was it just looked amateurish at times. It really looked like it was sort of an FA Cup game where where Man City had gone to a League Two team or something like that. And and you know I know there's um, a large gulf in terms of quality of. of the French team in Australia, but the, you know there's a large gulf between a lot of teams in this World Cup that aren't losing 4-1 when they're playing the most defensive style of football imaginable, and that's you know it comes back to what Johan Cruyff said once about Mourinho, where he said if you're playing such negative, boring, really just embarrassing football, then you've got to win or you've got to get results because if you're not getting results, then there's nothing. Well, Whereas at least with Ange, yeah. when you, you know, you're not getting results, you're at least playing attractive football that people want to watch. That, that was my overriding emotion after watching the Australia game. was kind of like, what's, what was the point of that? Like, it just yeah. felt so flat that we just were, were nothing. I and, watched and Germany and thought that. They, they were walking with the ball. I'm like, come on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and like... Everyone is screaming out for Arnold to find some more aggressive, as you say, closing the ball down, aggressive play... Can he, can he do it? I, I don't know. The, the biggest success he's had in the last two years, if you take away some of the, the minor teams we beat, was the playoff against Peru. But that was where we just, again, were pretty passive and Peru were just off their game. They just did not play well. And, uh, you know, it worked for us. And I, I thought it was a fantastic result overall. But we weren't really that great in the game and we haven't been for a long time. And it is that, that tactical flexibility that uh, we're lacking. And, of course, you know, you, you look at the France team, there's the other argument, I guess, on the, other, the flip side of the coin. And you say, yeah, get your fullbacks pushed on. We've got to try and attack them. And you're leaving holes for Mbappe and Mbele to yeah, run into. Exactly. You could cop eight goals. There's no doubt about it. But it feels like other teams in the World Cup have, have taken these risks at times, calculated risks, not, not kamikaze, and they've got away with it. And it would have been nice for us to at least have a crack. But uh, he's got a chance, you know, second game tonight. But, you know, as you say, Derek, based on Graham, Graham Arnold's um, CV in international football, it's probably not going to be much different. And yeah, they just and that's the thing. They just didn't seem to be any any desire to, to to really do anything. And what what I think I'm most disappointed about is, I mean, I haven't watched the full press conferences, but a lot of what I've heard Graham Arnold saying, I mean, it's embarrassing to 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 have one shot on target in a whole game of football, and have him go, oh, you know, I can't complain too much, or you know, the lads did what we asked of them, and it's and if they're doing if that game was them doing what you asked of them. And I'm very concerned what's being asked of them yeah. when we, we, you know, we're making you know these long ball defensive clearances to no one, as if it's the 89th minute when we're still in the first half. And it just, yeah, it just there was no ambition, no anything really. And you can't go to a World Cup. What's the point of going to a World Cup if we're just going to sit in our own penalty area and defend that? Not even resolutely, you know. It, there was one of the goals was just a cross in. 
that's missed three players and some of the pack has got the ball. It's you know, you look at let I me mean, look at Canada. Canada played Belgium who have been top you know, FIFA number one ranked nation for a long time. Or have been there up in the they have been number one ranked nation recently and they've been in the top five for a long, long time. And Belgium were absolutely lucky to get away with that win. You know, they they, they should have been three or four goals down. And so, you know, you can do it and it's possible. And that's with players who haven't played together. So again, just a lack of ambition really is what disappoints me. Yeah, well, a thing we all just identified that you can have the players, but you've got to have the coach that's going to form the players into the, you know, the winning style yeah. that it's going to be. And, and you can you can you can't knock Romano for his dedication to Australia as a player and a coach. There's no doubt about that. But it'll certainly be time to move on once at the end. Is I think he said he's moving on at the end of the World Cup, regardless. Is is kind of what he's hinting at, and I think it'll be good for us to get a. A good coach. You know, and I think it's been a while. I know you mentioned yeah, Ange there, Derek. Yeah, a good coach. I heard that. Yeah, yeah, in terms of international level. Yeah, yeah. in terms of international. Because, I, well, I'm going to say that I, I wasn't a big fan of Pim Verbeek, his tactics. Um, I have to go back to Ange's tactics. And, you know, Gus Hiddink was good as well. But I think it's been a while since we've kind of nailed the World Cup and how we should play. Um, I, I loved how Ange went about it. Was the 2014 one, I think it was. Or no, 2010. I'll, I'll get my World Cups right. But I remember Pim Verbeek the first game in South Africa where we lost 4-0 to Germany. And again, I think we played two number sixes and went into our shell and it just felt the same as against France. It was like, what, what was that all about? Um, so I think... Yeah. This was I feel it speaks to this overriding defeatism of mm. the national psyche when it comes to football. Oh, well, we're not going to compete. Let's just defend resolutely as opposed to, no, no, let's go out, attack them and press and have an organised system. Again, it's a game of... You know, it's, a, it's based on narratives, so... Saudi Arabia, everyone is lauding them. If Argentina had have made the runs, you know, a fraction, literally a fraction of a second earlier or later, um, then suddenly Saudi Arabia are four 0 down after twenty minutes, and we're talking about how amazing Argentina are. So again, it, it changes. But again, they they were organised, they were defensive, but they weren't ultra ultra defensive, and they didn't look like they they knew that they were out of their depth. And. Uh... Yeah, look, agree with you completely, Derry. Interesting, because obviously we've been quite negative on Australia. What, what are some of the real highlights of the World Cup? I mean, I talk about, you know, shout-out-loud moments. There's been a couple with, with my kids where we've just all jumped up and shouted. None of them have been related to Australia, unfortunately. Oh, apart from the first goal, I should say. Yeah, the, yeah. the first goal definitely was one of those moments. More shock than that. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I think, you know, one of the Saudi goal and, and Iran, Iran's two goals um, from the nights ago uh, against... Charleston, yeah, yeah Richardson. So, yeah. what have been the amazing moments for you so far, which are going to live long in your memory, Derek? Um, yeah, look, that Richardson goal was a cracker, wasn't it? Um, just the, the, yeah, to take the touch and then volley it. Um, but yeah, Craig Goodwin's strike was really good. Um, but it's also good to see some of the the smaller teams getting up um, over the over the larger teams. And that, for me, has been quite a good one. Um, and just watching, um, I don't know, I feel the ethical issues for me have been an overriding force um, for this World Cup. Um, so watching Qatar get battered a couple of times has been pretty good. Um, it's just to, 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 to not have this sort of amazing sports-washing um, chance that they had. That, that they had. Um, but, you know, so that, that's, they've been my main moment so far, but we'll see what progresses and how that progresses. And hopefully there's some kind of chance for Minnow to, to go a lot further than they normally do. Um, I'm looking forward to watching Ghana versus Uruguay on the final group, their final group game for that group, and watching Ghana get a chance to make amends for the Luis Suarez um, volleyball punch last time they played each other. 
Yeah. I'd love for that to happen again. Because <laughs> we know we know he'd do it, he'd do it again. <laughs> he'd do it again in a heartbeat, wouldn't he? Yeah. Games coming up this week. I'm looking forward to um, Spain and Germany. I think it's on Monday. And Spain and Japan on Friday. The two games I'm looking forward to. Spain have been very exciting. Well, they will. They will pass you to death sometimes. But uh, yeah, they they. You know, it's hard to say they're, they're lacking a striker. It's hard to say they're lacking a striker when they scored that many goals. But um, they yes. don't have their they don't have the big striker. So it will be interesting to see whether their young players are ready to take them to a World Cup final. Because mm. yeah, they're, I mean, ability wise, incredible. But their midfield is. Aren't they all under the age of 15 or something like that? <laughs> Pedro and Garvey. And all well, they, they're a penalty shoot away from the Euro final. So, yeah, you, you yeah. know, they're right. So On that passing to death note, though, um, I don't know if you saw that stat where Spain completed more passes in the first half than Wickham Wanderers did in November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did see that. Good one, Derek. I've been impressed with Ecuador, too, in Group A. I really like their style. They're young, too. and, and they're, they've they've come through with a lot of young players who play at Brighton. A few of them, these these kind of guys you haven't heard of. You realise they're playing in the Premier League. Um, really, yeah, exciting. Given given, I think their eight results leading into the World Cup were one nil or nil nil. Um, they actually look pretty good. So yeah, I, I like that. And um, you know, I think what the other thing that struck me is that it, often the first round might set the tone for the rest of the games. But you look at you know England were unbelievable in their 60 win over Iran and Iran were awful and then both of them have kind of completely reversed in the second game um, in terms of their performance so it it does seem like there's there's a chance for redemption and I say that you know with my fingers crossed for tonight in Australia one one bad result if you're brave enough and and give it everything it, it can turn around quickly there's fine margins in all the games so that's that's a big positive for Australia it's only Qatar really I guess so far who have been <laughs> The double, the double bad kind Money of uh, buy you thing. Everything. Yeah, well, they yeah. Were, they were playing really well a couple of years ago. So I'm not quite sure what's what's happened to them. They were a really good team, and they've just been awful. So, and I, I well, they had that they had a good Asian Cup run, but then yeah. um, they lost two 0 to Ireland in a friendly not long ago, and then they lost two 0 or one 0 to Linfield, a Northern Irish club team. Um, last year, the, the results. Which, which, for the, yeah, the twelve months of friend is leading into the World Cup. They, they had that's that's kind of where it's been. But they they were genuinely the best team in the Asian Cup a couple of years ago. So and and beat and Japan. They should be better than they are because they almost all play for Al Sadd, um, and they finished a lot earlier. They had basically I think it was a whole month training camp as a team in the lead up to the to the World Cup. So they should, as a unit, be um, a lot better than they are. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see uh, Japan have Costa Rica next, so that'll be interesting because if, if they can if they can beat Costa Rica, then that basically writes them into the next stage. Yep, and one that of, does one of Germany and Spain, Spain will miss out in from that group. Yeah, so yeah. That, that is a, which be, good. be a big a big change. Yeah, good yeah. to see a um, one of the, one of the Asian teams go through. And, and South Korea, how do they? They you know came very close to beating Uruguay as well, where you know one player spooned it over the bar when he really should have just put it into the bottom corner, and then that would have been. That would have been um, a second Asian team through there. So that's um, yeah, representing our confederation quite well. What, what did you think of the the Canadian um, team? Oh, the, yeah, the Canadian team was was um, very very good. You know, I was, I was I was not sure exactly how they were going to going to fare, um, but having uh, you but yeah, they've got some individual talent, obviously with Alonzo Davis and Jonathan um, Jonathan David, uh, and and they were you know very very unlucky not to go not to beat Belgium. You know, Davis had his had um, Davies had his um, penalty saved, and they had three or four very very good chances that they put over the bar. And Belgium really only had a couple of shots, and you know one of them happened to go in. But um, they, yeah, they were they were very well organised. 
they pressed well. Um, they, you know, they were structured. A lot of things that, you know, I'd like to have seen from Australia, but didn't. Um, and so, but, you know, yeah, so Canada was very good and they were very, very unlucky. So it'll be interesting to see their next game um, against, I don't know who they're playing next. Uh-huh. Don't have it at hand? No. It, it, yeah, it might be South Korea, but... Um, don't know. My, my theory on the number of draws, it was five draws out of the first 18 games. My theory on that is that the quality of games has got better. Like the quality of the football has got better. So sometimes there was a disparity in the previous World Cups where there was like, I don't know why they're at the World Cup kind of thing. But I reckon that some of the teams like Ecuador is just blitzed and surprised me in the quality of their football. Their composure and their structure has definitely increased. Like there's yeah. teams that are just way better organised. Is that yeah. better and coaching the, or better international experience? But uh, that's a country of only 4 million people. Of Ecuador, for yeah. example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it is, and and I think, um, Darren, I'm not sure if you've got a strong opinion on it, but but it seemed Asia were looking at the Asian teams were struggling a bit, but some big results. So it's really only the African teams that are probably considered to be underperforming at the moment. They haven't really hit their straps. I mean, we, you know, the exciting memories of Roger Miller and some of these amazing African teams in the past and Cameroon seem a a bit distanced from some of their performances. Even Senegal have been a bit off. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I mean, Senegal, they've got one win um but but yeah no i, I take your point though um it's i mean ghana were quite unlucky against portugal so we'll see how they go in their next game because they've got a few good players yeah cameroon weren't good um and that really is it's the weakest cameroon team team i've seen in quite a long time and a lot of the, the sort of the bigger players um or big in terms of teams from from africa were unlucky not to, not to qualify you know nigeria ivory coast teams like that really um, should be doing a lot better in qualification and should be there. Um, and Algeria as well. So Tunisia, it'll be interesting to see how they go because they played really well against Denmark and were quite unlucky to lose that one. Or was it a nil all, actually? Um, I thought I saw a Denmark goal. Nil, nil. It was a nil all. Yeah, so they were unlucky not to not to win, shall I say, that one. Um, so again, it'll be interesting to see how they play against Australia. I think they're going to do quite well against Australia. Um, but yeah, no, like you say, um, it's interesting maybe with some of the African nations as well is how they're ba- how they're balancing um, the local players with the um, the European players because most players on on the teams are not actually born in the nation. So um, I know, for example, I think Tunisia, literally half the squad is not born in Tunisia, not sort of right come through in Tunisia. So when you're trying to integrate players who've possibly never been um, to the country um, like with players that that, that you know. Uh, playing in the local league, that and the disparity between that had, um, I don't know if that's a wider thing. I mean, I guess, yeah, South America doesn't have that as to quite the same extent because they have quite a lot of local players who then go to Europe together. Makes it um, a tough so that, gig that's maybe gig one the of the things that they can It makes it a tough gig for the coach, doesn't it? Bringing all those uh, dynamics together. Yeah, because I mean, I know last World Cup, um, the Algerian coach got a database head for him of, of every French born player with an Algerian parent or grandparent who hasn't had a French cap yet. So that was most of the, you know, like a Riyad Mahrez, for example, who's born and raised in Paris, but um, plays for Algeria. And so I, I don't know if that affects the dynamics in any meaningful capacity. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but that, that could be one way um, or one reason for uh, the slight underperformance. Um, however, you know, Morocco did pretty good against Croatia, which um, is who... Ha- um, Croatia, that's who Canada have next on our previous point, which yep. I think... And they could do pretty well against the Croatian team that 
you read through it and you go, this would have been a good team 10 years ago. Well, this was a good, good team 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's, that would be possibly one of the reasons why um, some of the African teams are not performing quite as well. Um, but, you know, but maybe it's overperformance from some of the Asian teams instead. Derek, before we let you go, the Australia team is playing Tunisia tonight, 4pm WA time. Anybody? Uh, 6pm. 6, 6 6 6 6 I'm getting to my destination at 4pm. You'll, so you'll be there watching yeah, the pre-match, yeah, I can yeah, see. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's just uh, my days are just, uh, you know, relative to which games are on at the moment. Um, let's have just a little bit of a, a chat about that. How do you rate Australia's chances against Tunisia, Derek? Uh, before the World Cup, very high. After watching Tunisia against Denmark, not as great. Mm. So I feel um, it'll be a closer game than the France game, but I'm not massively hopeful. Having said that, I'm usually pretty pessimistic about Australian football. So hopefully um, my pessimism is wrong, and hopefully we, we play well. Um, if it depends on, I think it depends largely on, on Graham Arnold. Is he going to go out and actually attack and actually play um, positive football? If he does, then I think we've got a great chance of, of coming away with something. However, if we're going to revert, revert to just don't concede, then, you know, I feel Tunisia will break us down because they were, you know, they were quite calm in the ball, um, moved the ball around quite well against Croatia and, and quite organised. Yeah, I think they were, Croatia, I, heard, Denmark. Uh, I heard a commentator describe them as a, as a coiled snake in that game against Denmark yeah. versus Denmark, who were, you know, knocking the ball around and doing the usual thing. But Tunisia kind of you had that sense that they could pounce mm-hmm. at any point and that's how they were playing with that ability to, to break and uh, that could be quite damaging for Australia, I can, I can imagine, if we're not uh, on our game. Um, any, any changes you'd make for the starting lineup? I think there is one that's definitely being made. Nathaniel Atkinson yeah. is still trying to recover from chasing Mbappe around the pitch. Uh, <laughs> so he's, um, he's having a rest for Fran Karasic. Um, I'm not sure of any other changes, but is there any you'd think you'd like to see? At this point, not really, no. I mean, the, the, there's, there's a squad there that, you know, any combination of 11, I feel, would do a fairly similar job. But just on that Mbappe point, again, like, that's, that's on Graham Arnold, I'm sorry. You know, you know that, you know France's in, strategy is going to be, can we get Mbappe isolated against, you know, whoever is like, right back at any given moment for Australia um, and just let him absolutely rinse him every time. Um, so let's make sure he we, we don't get the fastest player in world football isolated against um, our right back on the wing who isn't the fastest player in world football. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's just another point as well about that this poor game management of, like, you know, they're going to try and do this. How do we stop that? Um, how do we make sure there's cover there? Um, which wasn't done, and that was one of the goals, was he just isolated Mbappe, cuts in, rinses him twice, and then in, in for a goal. Um, so, look, yeah, any any real combination of 11, you know, in that squad, I think the squad is, is much for much just in terms of quality. Um, Jackson Irvine, I like to see him playing. I mean, I know he started last game. Maybe Jason Cummings, as a former Hibs player, I'd like to try and see him um, get a start. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think the cummings qual combination, they play together at Colourville, there is something in that, I think, and I'm glad Arnold brought both of them on, you know, at some point in the game, you know, against France, and there wasn't wasn't much possession, but... I'm really excited if Quoll gets a good run at maybe 20 minutes and, and we get a bit of possession to try and release him. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of him other than some of the Central Coast games. He usually comes on for the last 20, 25 minutes. I think he's averaging... Um, an, uh, he takes part in a goal, either scoring or assisting, every 36 minutes he's on the pitch. 
So give him 37 minutes, Graham Arnold, and then, you know, maybe we're right. But, uh, yeah, there, there is some excitement around some of these young players. Um, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Regardless of the result, of course, we'd love to see a result. Tunisia are a good team, though. Um, but if we can at least, as you say, get some positives out of some of our young guys um, in terms of them going forward, I think it'll be good. It'll be good to watch. Yeah, let's just get some experience into the legs before the next World Cup, which we will hopefully qualify for because we'll have... Yeah, I'll leave that one there. But, <laughs> but yeah, but I, just, I just want to see us play a bit more positive football. I just want to see us have a go and, and not not play defeatist football. That's what I'd like to say. Yeah, I think we're all on that page too. Derek, thank you. you know, for... If we lose, we lose. We lost anyway So against France, so let's just have a go. Yeah, good old Australian slang. Let's do it. Derek, thanks very much. I appreciate you not 100% there, so I appreciate you coming on and uh, having a chat with us today. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Go, that's Derek. Thank you. That was Derek Pollock, local football expert, suffering a bit there, but still lots to say, which is good. I'm, um, I, I think, you know, a couple of things that go towards a successful football team when you're talking about competition management are the players that you've got, how good are they? Can you pick the best players for that situation and the coaching style? And then underneath that is the foundation that you provide for them. And what is the foundation we provide for our Socceroos? Like, what kind of school or educational development have they come through to get to that point to give the coach and the players on that any given day or tournament the, the best possible way to win? Have we done that? Oh, it's a big debate at the moment in, in Australia. A lot of people are starting to question uh, the, the Dutch phase we went through, the 4 3 3 system, which became the national curriculum probably 15 years ago. Yeah. Tom Samani will be able to talk about that later in the show as well, no doubt. But uh, yeah, I, I think putting all your eggs in one basket is, is never a good idea and perhaps we did go too far to that one style but uh, many countries are also in the same position as us trying to understand what is our, what is our style, what are our strengths in the modern game uh, the game's changed so much, a lot more fitness and speed a lot more pressing, I mean that's the big difference yep. of this World Cup it's really noticeable the games where, where people sit back and let the slow passing that used to be the norm for 50-60% of games in the World Cup, it was played over summer usually and uh, this World Cup, you, you see the players are able to press for longer and it makes for more exciting games. But if, and smarter. If you can't do that or you can't manage someone pressing you with, with your skills, um, it's, it's tough. And I think that's for Australian out. players. We, we need to develop the ability to, um, our technical ability to cope with that press. Um, passing the ball easy side to side forwards is nice. But sometimes... And, and I think Rene Mullenstein, who's the current assistant coach, said it best. He talked about Rashford. He's able to create an advantage with a dribble. And I think that's one of the things Australian players haven't done so well for a long time, which is the ability to yeah, dribble, not necessarily to beat a player completely, but to dribble to a point where you are now in an attacking position to pass the ball, creating some advantage in a situation where you're being pressed mm. through your skills. And I think that's the one thing I'd love to see Australian players get better at. Mm. Um, I think rather than being able to hold a system, hold a structure pass it, know how to make runs, that's all good and Create we do that pretty well. But, but the, the one-on-one, and of course, you know, Brazil do it fantastically. We're, not, we're never going to be Brazil, but a bit more focus on that as, as young players. Um, how many coaches do you know or see where they berate young players for trying to dribble and take someone on and losing the ball? Um, there's, a, there's a time and a place to do it, there's no doubt about it, but at least giving the players confidence to try it at training um, 
because you never get better at it unless you actually practice it. So creating conditions to, to practice, 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 mm. and then in a game they'll have the confidence to do it. Um, that, that's what I would say would be a big step for us. And some of these young African players coming through, that's their natural instinct. I think we're going we're gonna to be better at that anyway yeah, in five, six for, years. We're, we're going to yeah. be better at it. So I, I think we're getting there. Dave, we've got to hear more from you. You're very quiet during that whole segment, all right? So the next segment, we're going to bring you in some more. This is... Nothing to do with the fact Scotland's not in the World Cup. Yeah, you know, maybe. <laughs> maybe. This is Penn, Dave and Vince. We're going to come back and chat more football in a moment with Tom Samani. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. football program Penn, Vince and Dave in the studio and Tom Samani on the line now before we have a chat to Tom a shout out to Martin Wells who was my mentor and original host of the Saturday morning soccer show many decades ago he's in Perth at the moment so hi Martin hope you're enjoying your football and you've got plenty to say as usual so Tom good morning good afternoon to you wherever you are I'm sure it's afternoon it's afternoon Mm. What are you up to these days? What, why did you land at Western Sydney Wanderers? What's what's the challenge oh, there for you? How long? How long have you got? <laughs> um, I was this time last year. I was happily easing into retirement, living in peace and quiet. And then um, Western Sydney Wanderers asked me to come along and help out with the, the women's football program. So they've given me a fancy title of head of women's football. Nobody knows quite what the job is, but that's kind of. Uh, Part of the course in football. You're so I just generally help out creating it as I go. Um, you know, first thing was to get a coach in place. We've got <coughs> young Cat Smith yep. there, and and then <coughs> you know help sign players, and, and then I just do whatever kind of needs to be done, whether that's putting the cones out or meeting with sponsors or or whatever. So it's kind of one of those. Part, it's a, it's a part time role as well. So I'm not there twenty four seven. 
Is, so that's one thing I'm doing. <clears throat> is part of it creating a pathway for players? Well, that... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, well, one of the things that we've got um, that we want to create is our own academy. So we have... Um, at the moment, we do what we call a little Wonder Woman program, which is basically a one-day-a-week program for 60 players during the winter season when they play with their clubs. Um, and that's kind of a precursor for us, hopefully. 2024, we've penciled in, where we hopefully will start our, our own academy. So we'll have a, a system that goes all the way through from youth, youth football all the way right through to the, the W League. And I say W League because I refuse to call it A League Liberty Women's. Okay. So the only thing left on your portfolio to do is come to Perth and coach here. Yes. Well, well, well my, hopefully my coaching days, hopefully my coaching days are beyond me. I'm quite happily leaving the coaching to much younger, much more capable, much more technologically skilled people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, I've got just the role for you then. Maybe Mum FC. There's this, you know, biggish club over in Perth. Got a bit of space for a few positions when you finished at Western Sydney Wanderers, Tom. Just look me up, all right? I will do that. <laughs> uh, Tom, it's Vince Matas here. Good to chat to you Hi, again. Ben. Um, the idea of, a, of, I guess, it sounds like part of your role there is mentoring a, a young up-and-coming coach. And I'm not sure that, that football or you know, soccer has, has embraced that particularly over the years, but it sounds like a, a pretty good concept for, for people like yourself who've got so much experience but don't necessarily want to be doing it full-time, but, but being that, that person to turn to for the younger coach. I, I think it can be helpful, um, and I think, I, I think you're right in the sense that our sport hasn't been like that, and a lot of young coaches basically just get thrown in there. And I don't know, certainly when I started as a young coach, yeah, I've got absolutely no idea what the job's about. Um, I wish I'd a dollar for every time I've had a phone call from a, a coach that I've uh, that I've coached as a player and gone into coaching and after two or three weeks phone me up and say, oh, did you have to do this? <laughs> Was this part of the job? So I think I think it's helpful. Um, and I think, you know... It, it's not it's not a big huge thing. I think it's just you know if somebody's got someone there who's just there as a sounding board or um you know whatever capacity just to be there because you know what it's like, even if it's just to give the coach comfort, particularly during the tough times um I think it can be helpful absolutely and you, we were talking about Ange Postacoglu earlier, and it's probably similar kind of role where you've kind of jumped into some challenges along the way. You've improved your, your coaching and, and your, your football portfolio. And as you go through those spaces, there's other younger you know, coaches that come into that space behind you and they can look up to you and share, you can share your experiences with them. And that's what life's about, right? So that's kind of the perfect role for you. Yeah, it, it just helps me pass on cliches. Apart from that, not much help. <laughs> What, what what do you see we're doing as Australia? We're doing right at the moment in terms of our development of players and coaches. What do you think's the best thing that, that um, we're doing? Oh, well, that's a really good question. Well, I think you know what what I think we 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 like totally slam our game from football. All I see is, is critics everywhere, um, and and there's a lot of good things happening in the game. You know, when you look at the health of the game at, at junior level and the number of kids that are playing. And a number of things that are happening out there. There's a lot of good things happening. I think the thing that that hasn't quite 
kept up with that that we used to have, particularly Vince, you'll remember back in the AIS days, is we used to have a better network and a connection around the place to put all the stuff together. So I think that's lacking a little bit. But generally out in Clubland, there's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of positive stuff happening. A lot of people putting in a, a lot of good work, a lot of good development going on. It's just not quite coordinated as well as, as I think it used to be and, and perhaps could be. So I think that that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, when we talk about the the, the W League, and, and I hear a lot of people criticising it, is that we've got a league where basically 50 of the best players are not in the competition. So there's probably a, almost 30 Matildas overseas and there would be at least 20 to 25 senior US uh, NWSL players that come into our competition um, during the summer, which doesn't happen now. And we are still able to put out 11 competitive teams. I mean, in a women's competition, if you took 50 of the best players out of the women's big bash, I, I don't know how it would exist. Mm. So... So there's a lot. There is a lot of things that are going on in the game that are that are quite positive. Um, and the, the coach education now, Ron Smith is back, um, not in charge of the coach education, but revamping it. So I think that's going back to what, what it used to be. So I think that will be a positive step forward, particularly in the production of young players. So you know, there is there's lots of good things happening out there. There's lots of things that, like in any sport, we can improve a little bit. Uh, Tom, is is Ron Smith involved with the the production of co- uh, good quality coaches, or is he actually working with the uh, the? He's, he's actually putting the courses on, so he's doing he's he's flat out at the minute doing the A licenses almost every weekend. So he's actually he's he's rewriting the courses and he's also assessing okay. on the courses. So that that's basically what is. What his role is, he's trying to pull back a little bit, but you know, um, if you know Ron, he's a twenty-four-seven kind of guy, yeah. and um, and he's pretty full on with that. And I think you'll start to see, a, a, um, I think, a, a more positive benefit from that as it starts to get underway. Okay, Tom, we were talking about the Socceroos earlier and how they're going to beat Tunisia tonight and go through to the final rounds of the World Cup, and we we're talking about the style of play and what we need to do to win that game and do better as a nation. What's your thoughts on how we're going? <laughs> well, it's good. Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. I, I think nobody in Australia gave the Socceroos a hope of qualifying for the World Cup um, when they had to do those playoff games, and particularly when they had to come up against Peru. Uh, and they pulled out an, an unbelievable result. I, I think a reality is, at the moment... The, the Socceroo team is a, and I don't, I, I say this in a really respectful way, is a workman-like team. It, it does, it's not a team that has a particular star player or star quality or, or you know, that, that sort of X factor that, say, you had in 2006 in particular at the World Cup. So it, it's a very workman-like mm-hmm. side. So, you know, hopefully what they can do is collectively get a result. And that's what Army did fantastically to get them to the World Cup. Um, and again, I saw a lot of people come out and criticise them against um, against France. But <laughs> you're playing France yeah. <laughs> against the best players in the world. Uh, that's a difficult ask. So, but I think in this game, they're coming up against a team where, uh, in some ways, they're a bit more compatible, a bit more competitive. Um, and it's a question of hopefully getting the tactics right and then being able to get in and win the game because it's a winnable game. 
do you think that we've got a decent infrastructure or that we need to work on getting some no. kind of... We, we need a better we need a better infrastructure. Like, no, no, we do. Now I'll go back. You're going to get me on my soapbox now. I'll go back. <laughs> we we used, we used to have terrific systems in place, and and those systems have dissipated over probably not not necessarily due to football, but about 2014 when um, some rocket scientists in the government decided that instead of the government funded sports like the NTC programs that you you know, we had around the states that the money then would go to the sports, to the sports running their own programs. And as we know, and that's why the AIS was created in the first place, because if you give the money to sports, the money then gets put to wherever it needs to get put. So I think one thing that we need to do better that we that we've lacked, and we're now seeing the negative result of that, is that we've lacked what I call elite development programs. So we have lots of different things happening. And lots of good things in, in private academies and clubs and, and different states and things like that. But we don't really have a coordinated approach and we don't really, what I believe, have at development level what I would call elite development programmes. So that's that's something that needs to be recreated. How it gets recreated, I'm not sure. You know, ideally, ideally, A-league clubs would have their own academies and these academies would have the best players, and the best players would then go through a, a system of elite development. I don't know, you know, a lot of A-league clubs are barely surviving on their own, so that's not a priority for them. Um, so that's kind of what I think, um, as you say, what's lacking in the system to produce players, I think that's what it is. So a couple of things out of that you, you're saying is that if the system the constituents in the system can't afford to have that system, then the sport should provide that system. And I, and I totally agree, and that would be an AIS or something where... Yeah, the, you know, we had the AIS and we had the state institutes. Mm. And that, that, that helped the development, and then they've all gone. So what then happens is your elite development becomes diluted. And the reality of elite development takes resources, uh, it takes time, it takes patience, it takes good coaching, um, and it takes putting a good network together, um, talent identification, all those things. So it takes all of those things. So I think in t around the place, a lot of those things are happening, but it's all happening in isolation. And and there's no longer really a coordinated system. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And so I, I don't know if that was your view about what's happening in the male side of the, the game or that's what happens across the game generally. Across the game, generally, if you look at um, if you look at the, the Matildas, uh, and people have said, "Well, well, where are the next generation of Matildas?" Um, the generation of Matildas that are the, the key players in the team now were ones that came through that system. We had a tremendous system in place. We had eight full-time coaches in the different major centres um, who helped develop the, the players, and then fed them when I was a national coach up through the system to me. And, and I think that could be highlighted when we played, when I was with New Zealand and we played Australia in 2021 in Tokyo, nine of the starting players played under me in 2012. Um, and it would have been 10 except one of the players was injured. So, you know, that's nine years later, the starting team is virtually the same. No, it wasn't the same team then. The starting team are players who'd been in the national team for nine years. Yeah. and we're still key players in the team. And that, that's what I mean, is that a system that was, if the system had continued, 
I think what you'd have seen is a continuation of players coming through that system and, and being more diversity in that squad. So what do you see now, think about the Matildas, so what do you see now with the players? Because we have some very decent players, they're playing in international leagues, so they're getting some great football <laughs> quality experience. Yeah, I think, well, that's it. So you're talking two different things here. I think you're talking the senior level, there's, there's not much you can do. Basically now, the women's game sort of mirrors the men games, men's game. So international level, you basically get access to your players during FIFA windows. So your senior players, then they are... They are Playing um, uh, the playing system or playing arrangements are with professional clubs, probably in Europe and in America, and and that's basically where your national team is going to come from. But what what you have to do domestically is have a system in place that keeps producing elite players coming through that system that can be fed through to the W League, overseas, and then into your national team. Mm. Yes. Okay, so is that next on your bucket list? No, it's not my job. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully. The the other comment, Tom, I saw recently, which I found interesting, and and um, I think there's some truth in it. Uh, I think it's Amy Harrison, one of your players there at Western Sydney Wanderers who've been playing in the Netherlands, uh, was interviewed recently. She kind of said, look, she found one of the differences coming back to Australia perhaps is the intensity in terms of focusing to win, she said, I think she said, we, um, teams here need to learn how to win or, or that winning is everything almost, that kind of mentality and that professionalism. And you, you, do, you do see a difference in Europe and young Australian players who go over to Europe sometimes are quite shocked by it. And, of course, the good ones can develop that. But, yeah, we still do perhaps have... Uh, I know foreign players have come here and said, wow, people have a laugh at training. This is great. Um, <laughs> yet in, in Germany and, and Italy, you smile and you won't be playing the next week. You know, it's a serious, <laughs> serious... <laughs> everything is serious about it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah don't, where, do you, where do you think we are in Australia with that kind I, of mentality? I, look, I think it's a balance. And I think it's about... And, you know, that tends to happen when <laughs> senior players become senior players and they start judging younger players. And they often forget what they were like as younger players. And it's kind of not knowing what you don't know. So, you know, you're, you're brought up in, in a, a slightly different system. Um, and that's why, you know, the, at this particular moment in time, the W League would be, you know, in, in a sense, a development league. So it's the first step for younger players to come up through that system and then go overseas and then get refined as a professional player in a full-time professional environment. But I think it, it sometimes as well, it's, it's a little bit unfair in a sense because the, the, Aussie, the Aussie psyche is, is different to, um, to, to, say, Germany. You know, I know, I mean, you go to Germany, the coach doesn't talk to you, let alone some of the players. So that, that's, that's form to, to Australian <coughs> players and, and New Zealand players. And, and to an extent, I'm doing some work again with the Canadian national team. And they're very much like that. You know, they've got a, a, a real mix of young players and senior players. And, there's a, the, you know, there's a much more relaxed atmosphere. So I don't necessarily buy into they don't want to win because Australians are competitive. But it, as a sense, it's a kind of a, a, a just a, a snapshot of where those players are in the game at this particular moment in time. But in time, once they start going overseas, once they start becoming full-time professionals, then it's, it's a bit like learning your trade. And um, as I say, so senior players that come back from Europe, they've already, you know, gone through that spell in Australia, going in with a full-time professionals and then coming back 
and then sort of seeing these other younger players who don't know what it's all about just yet. Good having a good balance. Tom, what yeah. do you what do you think about the quality of the women's A League this year? Um, well, I think it's it, it's like anything. It's been it's been diluted a little bit over the last um, two or three years because of the you know the inability to bring in foreign players because the leagues don't um, dovetail quite as well, particularly the US league, and obviously the Matildas and are COVID. all overseas. And COVID, COVID hasn't helped. I forgot about COVID. COVID yeah. hasn't helped as, as well. So, so it's a little bit like that. And then there's a couple of new teams in the league. Wellington obviously came in last year, and then um, uh, Western United are in in this year, which again sort of dilutes the talent a little bit more. But I still think, look, it's up to 20 games this year, which is much better. I think when you look around all the teams, certainly at West Sydney Wanderers. Our players will train the same kind of training schedule as the men's A-League players. So I think teams are now getting themselves um, established and organised much better in the, in the staffing area, the support staff area, and and being able to do much, much more with players in that regard. So so there's, um, there's areas in the game that are getting better. And um, as I say, hopefully, as we, you know, in time... Some of the older Matildas will come back and play in the, in the league again, and that will sort of start regenerating, um, you know, a little bit more interest from that perspective. What about the Matildas? How do you think they're travelling? Have they got everything spot on with their timelines in the lead up to <laughs> World Cup next year? Well, they've had a couple of good results, which is positive. That's, that's a good thing. I think look, on it's going to be interesting I, as um, at the. The World Cup and, and the Olympics last last year, yeah, the Olympics last year, for me, there were six potential teams that could have won that Olympics. And I, I basically put Canada at number six and they won it. Um, and I think going into the World Cup, there's at least six teams that can genuinely win the World Cup, which is quite remarkable in any comp- any national competi- international competition. Um, and the Matildas are one of them. Now... Um, there's got some areas that I think they've got flaws in um, and there's certain aspects to the game that I think they need to be a wee bit more pragmatic about but I think on the day what they have got is they've got match winners and any team that's got players that can win games for you has always got a chance Sounds very diplomatic mm. No, I, I mean they can I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them as favourites to win it I, w- I wouldn't say like they're they're definitely going to get in there and they're going to go deep into the tournament. You know, it, it, the, what I'm saying is that they have got the the cap- and they've shown this. They have the the qualities and the capabilities on any given day of beating the best teams in the world. Um, they've got some flaws, which on the, any given day is going to cost them. Mm. You're right about the match winners. I hope that Ellie Carpenter will be back to 100% because she's a match winner for us in defence. Huge, and huge player. Kate. Probably your most important player. Yep, and uh, I think Steph Catley switching to a centre-back role was fantastic for the Matildas. She adds composure and leadership and a bit of stability there that uh, really think that we were missing. And Caitlin Ford has been progressing so much. It just is a much more free-flowing, relaxed, attacking role that she has had in the last few games has been great for Australia. 
and, and the middle. You know, that, that's a great point that you brought up about Caelan Ford because, you know, when you talked earlier about the young players and about learning to win and learn all that sort of stuff, you know, you've got to look at Caitlin Ford. When Caitlin Ford came in the national team at 17, I remember Caitlin Ford played our first game in the 2011 World Cup against Brazil, against Marta. And she did not have a clue who Marta was. Never heard of her, knew nothing about her. And couldn't have cared less about her. But, and so when you know when you talk, she was one of those as sat those young, carefree, couldn't care less kind of players. So in a lot of ways, people say, "Well, you're not very professional. <laughs> you don't care." But when they get out on the field, they were extremely competitive. And Caitlin is like Sam. Sam has taken her game to an, another level since she's gone to Europe. So I think she did a, a huge amount of development in America. But then she's gone to another level because the game's a little bit different in Europe. As is Caitlin now, and she's taking her game to to another level now. And and you know those girls are now sort of what age are they? Twenty seven, twenty eight. So that's that's the process. Do, Tom, do you think we're ever going to see another era of of domination like the US uh, national women's team had for so many games and years? Do you think that'll happen again, or there's just there's just so much more development in in Europe and other and other continents that we're not going to see that again? I I think it's unlikely. I think it's very unlikely. The, the only way that I think it will happen is if one of the European teams um, suddenly gets a golden generation. You know, and that, that could be Spain, um, could be Germany, um, could be England. Uh, you know, they, they just get that, you know, that, you know yourself, and that time when just a group of players come together um, and just at the right period in the right time. But unless that happens, I think the game now is going to be very, very open between, like you say, the top 8, 10, 12 teams. But on saying that, and a group of players coming together, if you create the right conditions, then that will happen. Not necessarily. (laughs) You're right, but they will play play at their optimum. There's no doubt about that if you get them together and thing. But but you still need need that elite ability in four or five players to... to, um, Take you to that next level, and there's probably some, yeah. some yeah national teams at the moment who are, who are going through that. As you say, oh, Spain yeah. Spain are interesting, Tom. As you said, they they've got the systems in place now that seem to be producing great players. I don't know whether they've got the individual ability that will take them to that elite level, but yeah, they're, they're a scary proposition if they suddenly get two or three young superstars yeah. through. Yeah, if they get get the, all the other bits together, then they could be someone that just goes that that could blow stuff away for a few years. It'll so, be interesting watching them on the female side of things as well because I know there's a few Australian players that have gone over there and played in some of their academies at um, you know, un- underneath their first team level and I don't hear much about that but some yeah. of the quality of the games is great and um, you know, did, did a little bit of money in there, good quality football. So you know, what that means and on the international stage for Spain, who knows? And you're also talking about culture as well. So you're talking about players that have been brought up in a in a real football culture where football is the way of life, so so they're under the generic understanding of the game from an early age. It's just that little bit better. I think that's a really good point, and that, and maybe that is that is one of the biggest differences. I, I you know, I'm happy to be correct on this. It do, it does seem as though in the women's game that um, fitness, speed, and strength uh, really brought you you know to the top four. If you if you were an elite in that level, whether the US, um, Australia. Couple of Canada as well. Um, for a long time, that uh, that maybe made up for some skill deficiencies in some areas. Whereas now, 
the other teams have caught up physically, and so it's the skill and the tactics that almost are now deciding the difference. Yeah. Um, Very much so. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And, you know, you used to be able to go out and park the bus, and even against the, you know, the physically dominant teams, and, and you would frustrate them because you didn't have that, that skill to kind of, you know, to open the lock and, and, um, and create chances. And, and those days are kind of gone now. So there's too many good strikers. There's too many clever midfield players. So the ability to sort of go out and just sort of, uh, you know, hopefully hang on for the result is becoming much, much harder. Yeah, God, I hate watching those games. There's a couple of games Australia played against uh, Asian teams in Matildas this year where the teams would park the bus. Oh, my God, it was so infuriating watching those games. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's been the challenge for Australia, I guess, this, this era now to develop those, in both the men's and the women's, but certainly in the women's too. We had such a natural advantage for so long with such amazing athletes as, as a starting point and, and some, some incredibly skillful players. But unless we develop these these players who can unlock um, block defences, even even in Asia, um, yeah, we're, we're not getting the results anymore. And um, it looks terrible in one way, but it's really only just one element that we have to work on and we'll be back at that top level regularly, mm. I think. Yeah. Tom, before we let you go, Australia and Tunisia tonight, what's your tip? Uh, I, I, I hope... Uh, I'm go- <laughs> I've got to be positive here. 1-0. 1-0. 1-0. Which way? Come on, I, which think, way? I think 1-0 for us. One nil for big, us. Big Harry Sutar oh, at the back post, is that right? You think, <laughs> yeah, one of them. Uh, bring on uh, Jimmy McClam and uh, you know, stick one in the back of the net for us. But I think, um, yeah, it would be good if they do that and uh, we keep everybody on their toes again. It would be great. It would be a tough game because you know, Tunisia played pretty well the other night. Yeah, so. yeah. 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 No, hey, no easy games in the World Cup, right enough. That's very true, but uh, Tom, h- half that Australian team's got Scotsman in, in it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey? Yeah, so, so Scotland's at the I'm World Cup, boy. I'm glad there's some Scots there. <laughs> <laughs> He's been very quiet because we're you know, talking about a lot of other things that don't involve Scottish stuff. But yeah, it's true. We have some pretty damn good Scottish players in our Australian team. How does that work? <laughs> Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for calling me. No problem. To, to call me from time to time. I really appreciate that. Good on you. Thanks, Tom. Okay, Have a Tom. great weekend. Thanks, okay. Tom. Thanks, everybody. Thank See you. Bye. Cheers, Tom. Tom Simone, who's the head of the football women's football in Western Sydney Wanderers. And another another one of our great Scottish imports into yeah. the Australian system. Obviously, he's been here a long time in New Zealand, but you know hasn't lost his accent. It's good good no. to see. So uh, I just wonder where he got the, the Salmani the name. <laughs> I think it must have been the the Italian ice cream guys that came across years but, and years and years uh, ago. I do remember the first time I was introduced to him and, you know, hearing the name Tom Somani. So you look at this Italian gentleman who kind of walks straight past this wee Scotsman. Oh, well, that can't be Tom Somani. I don't know. get that story out of him one day. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to make it public. You know? I felt like asking, but I didn't want to make it public. We're going to go to a break and come <clears> back and chat more football, of course. This is Penn, Vince and Dave on the World Football Program. Stay with us. I don't want to succeed so badly because we have such a great team and the fans, I think that we owe everyone around us something. Everyone is bought in. I think the togetherness within the squad is huge and it just makes you want to put everything on the field when you know someone's putting a big tackle and you're like, I want to put in a, a tackle like that and I want to play for her and I want to win for this club and this, these fans. This team is special. This team is ruthless. This team is family. This team 
gives everything for one another. And this team, no matter what, will show you heart and passion every day we get on the field. So the Socceroos have gone back to back to back to back to back. A fifth consecutive World Cup. Bring on the world in November. Do you recall the first steps taken 100 years ago, fatefully on the pitch of Dunedin? Or those who first showed us that it could be done in 74? How did 100 years of glory and heartbreak make us who we are? Ask any of our legends down the years what it means to make it this far. Did they give anything less than 100%? Because what does football teach us but the fact that anything can happen? The coolest of fates for the Socceroos. Perhaps in those moments we found our defiance. A desire to say, I, I told, told you so. We've got to stop talking about when we're going to qualify. We've got to start talking about when we're going to win World Cups. From those moments comes the redemption. He's Success that looms so large. Australia's golden boy. He's done it again for it, Holman. Maybe, just maybe, the journey was our very own. Whether in Adelaide or Aberdeen, Sydney or Zagreb, the coast of Kakuma, those first steps were taken. From fleeing war to finding a home down under, to leaving home at 14 to chase a dream, being told we're not good enough, not tall enough, too weak too physical, and becoming a squad that reflects the face of our country like no other. Rejections, doubts, and nearly giving it all away to becoming a cult hero. The Grey Wiggle does it for Australia. Through the slings and arrows of a thousand angry tweets, comments, and headlines, our boys found a way. Sixth squad to represent our nation of 26 million on the world stage. France, Tunisia, Denmark, and whoever comes after that. Just more challenges to overcome. We've been on many journeys, taken our own unique paths. But this story is never done. One squad, one World Cup, one jersey. Our turn to give it 100 once again. That was the Socceroos promo that's been flying around since just before the World Cup. It uh, took a couple of minutes, but I had to let that run because it just got shivers down my spine. Ready for the Tunisia game tonight. Good afternoon, Philippa Mengel. Philo, thanks for joining us. No problem at all. We're going to have a chat about the recent Masters Games, one of the biggest in the world, the Pan Pacific Masters Games. Tell us all about it. Did it uh, wrap up with um, rave reviews and all the people you expected to land over there in the Gold Coast? Um, yeah, it was actually uh, really successful. Um, I think everybody was just happy to be playing again after having a couple of cancellations with COVID. Um, so it, uh, it, we had 13 age divisions um, with over 70 teams, which was a little bit lower. Um, than the last one, but that was to be expected 
with everyone still a bit nervous um, about whether things were going to go ahead or not. Um, but the weather was kind because we'd had a lot of rain up here um, and we only got one afternoon with a bit of rain. So um, it was very successful. Yeah, the weather over that side of Australia has been kind of crazy. We feel pretty blessed over here that, uh, well, it's just nice and moderate and temperate and that's why everybody wants to come here and take all the jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about the Gold Coast? Why are the Pan Pacific Masters Games always held in the Gold Coast? Um, I think it's the, it's the climate, um, it's the, the atmosphere of the village that they, they have here as well as all the competing sports, which gives people uh, a chance to actually bring their families with them um, and make a real holiday um, out of the games as well. Uh, people really, really enjoy having the activities of the sport and also been having to have, you know, like movie world on your doorstep and the wonderful beaches on their doorstep so that they can sort of mix it up and, and, and make it a holiday. That's very enticing. I wonder if they'd said that about Qatar and put that in some of their adverts, more people would go to Qatar. <laughs> I, I always wonder when I see these World Cup Qatar adverts and then uh, is, it, uh, per, is it Perlo? He gets out of the bus and he walks along the beach and that's the ad they keep showing. I'm thinking, what else is there in Qatar? Come on! <laughs> <laughs> It is one shot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's all about the football over there. And tell us a little bit about the, the the drawing. Where do you get the teams from? Where do where do the teams come from? What's the furthest team that will go to play in the Masters Games? Um, actually, we've been really lucky this year. Um, we had every state in Australia represented uh, that came over, state and territory, and we also had some international teams. Uh, we had Canada, Germany, Ireland, New Zealand, the Solomon Islands, United Arab Emirates, United Kingdom, and the United States. No Scotland. So there was a come on. No Scotland. North Ireland. United Kingdom. <laughs> but uh, it was it was really good. We had a uh, 65 men team that came from Sacramento, uh, in the United States. Um, so that was a long way for them to travel, but uh, they said that they were coming back again. So they really really enjoyed it. Yeah, so it's definitely an international tournament, which I, I think is half of the attraction um, for not only our local teams but the Australian teams as well, because they they do get to experience um, playing against other teams that they would never have a chance to play against, and, and obviously to, to to meet a whole different range of people. Yeah, have a coffee at the canteen with someone from another country and. Chew the fat and all that. That's uh, you know what it's about. Find out how things go in other places and just uh, socially Absolutely. and make friends and and everything. Tell us what yeah, masters a, football what is too. Like the age group is thirty plus or thirty five plus. Yeah, for the women, it's um, thirty plus uh, is the lowest age group. Um, and this year we actually had a standalone forty five women um, this year for the first time, which was great. So we had uh, 30, 35, 40 and the forty five. God, could you imagine uh, Sam Kerr at 31 playing? Oh, my God. She'd be legible, <laughs> but oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's pretty good. It was uh, actually the oldest competitor we had in the men's was uh, actually 83 years old. Wow. Wow. Um, that was playing. And you would be surprised the standard of football in that um, those older age divisions are, are remarkable. They actually play the ball around a lot better than some of the younger teams. What would be the age bracket for an 83-year-old to be playing? Um, 65-plus men. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 
Here you go, yeah. Dave. And do you have walking football as well? Um, I didn't host it personally, but um, yes, it was hosted in the Panpac Games for the first time this year. Okay. Um, and I hear they actually had more interest than they were expecting, so that was successful as well. Mm. Very good. Kind of taken off over here in Perth the last couple of years. Been a, a couple of uh, associations that have cropped up and regular competitions have been um, underway a couple of times a week, annual yep. tournaments. And yeah, I, I think um, for the Masters Games, for the ones that I run, everyone still sort of wants that 11 aside, but there is definitely a tendency for people that are, like, injured and, and can't run anymore um, to still be able to participate. So I think walking football is, is a great option for those people. Yep, and the other form of football that is in the Masters Games is futsal as well, and I don't think that's in your remit, but it's certainly another form of the sport that's um, played. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's uh, indoor, um, and we we try to actually try to accommodate because we have a lot of a bit of crossover with players that'll play futsal because um, they usually the weekend before we start, uh, and then they come over to us. So we we do try to sort of work hand in hand to make sure that players can do multiple sports if they um, feel their bodies can handle it. Yeah, and I do love that about the Masters Games, how you can register for whatever sports will fit into your timetable and whatever your body can handle as well. Um, That's that's the big one. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the best things about the uh, Pad and Pack Games. Um, For example, my goalkeeper in our team, um, she actually also played tin pin bowling. Um, (laughs) So... That's you can great. play a variety of sports at the, the Pan Pacific Masters games. Did you, Philip? did you, um, obviously the first one now since the pandemic has kind of wrought havoc across the world, were you, were you nervous that it wasn't going to be the same or things have changed? Um, I think the, the biggest thing was uh, enticing people to commit um, because obviously we, we did try to run it in 2020 and 2021 and both got cancelled. Um so I think there was still a little bit of nervousness um, that it was going to get cancelled again at the last minute. So a few teams did struggle to, to get their full complement of, of players. Um, they got there in the end, but I think it was more of a relief for everybody that they that it was happening again and we could get back to some normality and, and something that everybody enjoyed doing. Um, so as I say, we were down a little bit on our team numbers, um, but... From all reports, I think now that it's back up and running, um, everybody just loved it and said they were going to come back again. So it, it did definitely affect us. But, I, yeah, I think now that we've had that first one again, um, we can sort of put that pandemic behind us, hopefully. It is a long way to come. And some of those teams, you said they're coming from Canada and UK and Germany, etc. Man, that's, that's a long way to commit when you say, you know, enticing people to get there. They've got to commit the money and uh, book the tickets and so Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. Mm. Must be... Must yeah, so it, was, it was really, really good to just get it up and running. And, um, and people that, you know, I hadn't been for four years. So it was great to see them again and and have them all know that they're still healthy and, and able to run around still. So it was great. Mm. And it sounds like then, you know, moving forward that you're full of confidence then that, you know, it's it's happening again next year, and you know, regardless of what the world throws at us, um, it's it's going to be here to stay. And I think that must give you a lot of confidence then for the next one. Look, absolutely. Um, as I say, it was just a relief that it that it did get up and running. Um, and I agree. I don't think we'll we'll face the same shutdowns again. Um, 
So I don't see any reason why it just um, can't continue to improve and, and get bigger from now on. Yeah, I think we've learned to manage it pretty well in all the kind of ways that we do. And although numbers are rising again at the moment, we're managing it because we've had all this few years to practice how to manage yeah. it now. So, and that involves exactly. life as per normal, thank crikey. Well, as normal as it can yeah. be. Um, yeah, exactly. What is what does Pan Pacific uh, look like going forward? Because uh, just to explain to our listeners, there's three levels of uh, Masters football, isn't there? There's the Australian, the Pan Pacific, and then there's a the World Masters. Yes, and they normally um, run sort of alternate years, like the Australian Masters are run uh, next year. Um, I know there's also the New Zealand Masters, um, and there's actually um, Masters over in Asia as well that a lot of these teams... Uh, Actually, travel to all the different, all the different uh, games and different years that they go around. So it's sort of like a, a little community. Um, it's a full that, time, that a full time career. Like. It sounds like. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you can afford it, it certainly is. <laughs> wow. But so, um, yeah, I think the trial next year that um, is being discussed at the moment. Um, uh, I'm not sure exactly what format it will be in. Um, whether it'll be a, a shortened competition. Um, and then back to the full competition again in, in 2024. Um, so there is, the, we're just sort of putting out um, surveys at the moment to gauge people's interest, see whether they would like to come every year or whether they would prefer to, as I say, have the option of the Australian Masters and other Masters games. Um, so we have to keep everybody posted with that one at the moment. So it'll definitely be in 2024, um, and we're just finalising for 2023. Would that mean that the Australian Masters would cease to exist because the Pan Pacific would take its place? Um, no, I don't think so. They are getting run at different times. Um, so there is certainly no intention to take over the Australian Masters. Um, it's just purely um, a trial to see uh, whether people are interested in doing it every year or not. Um, so, it, it, yeah, definitely... Definitely just a trial and definitely has no intention of taking over. I think they're two quite different competitions um, and I think they offer different things to the competitors. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what format yet um, the 2023 will be. But, um, yeah, as I say, it's, I think it's trying to see if... If it just has the interest, I think, is the main thing at the moment. Yeah, I guess it, it's about numbers and growth, isn't it? Because if Masters football Absolutely. or Masters sports generally across Australia and the globe are increasing in their uh, interest, growth, whatever, then you know, obviously having more competitions to keep the community together and facilitate that interest is what we want to do. We want healthy people for the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we certainly want to encourage everybody to keep active. Um, and, and do the thing that they love. And, I mean, that's the the good thing about the Masters Games is it's, you know, it's, it's people that have played sport all their life and they don't want to give it up just because they're getting older. So it, it gives them a platform to be able to, you know, still have all that camaraderie with being involved in a team sport um, that, you know, they, they don't want to miss out on just because they're ageing. And you can meet some pretty amazing people. Like You can meet friends, but there's, like... There's some pretty famous footballers that will be playing in those tournaments and you might not know that they're playing because they've retired from football and who knows where they've gone, but hello, they turn up in a Masters tournament and you go, oh, my God. 
Um, so those, yep. those moments that's happen. That's exactly what happened. We, we did actually have an ex-Australian player, his name eludes me at the moment, um, that did turn up at our games um, this year, um, which was nice. So obviously everybody's checking, is he registered, is he eligible to play, is he in the right age group? <laughs> so, uh, making sure if they were going to compete against him or not. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's like a bit of a stir, which is yeah. great. And there's obviously a, a, a lot of you know um, state representatives that, that come and play as well. So just out of curiosity, if uh, let's say uh, Sam Kerr wanted to take six months off of football and she was the age of 31, would she be eligible to play Masters football or would she not comply because she's a professional player? No, anyone can play. So oh, there is definitely out. no restriction on, yeah. Um, I know there is some sports, I think, like diving and things, um, have some restrictions. But as far as football is concerned, we haven't really come across that yet to make that an issue. So... They register, then they can play. Fair enough. Which is great. Yeah, cool. Um, and just a couple of stats that I picked up. I'm not quite sure if you, you mentioned them in, in your intro there, but um, it, the competition goes over about about 10 days. Um, there's something crazy like 18,000 medals, and I don't know how that works out, but this is across all sports, not just football. There's 40-plus sports being um, participated in, and... There's over 13,000 people participated this year and I think you said there was over 20 countries involved. That's amazing. Yeah, look, it really is something that is growing. Um, we had 42 sports this year um, with an introduction of a new, um, a couple of new sports. One was that um, the paddle, paddle, I can't think what it's called now. Yeah, paddle, paddle, big, big in Europe, yeah. Just called kind of, paddle. Yeah. It's kind of... It's kind of a morph of tennis. Table tennis, come table tennis. T- yeah, in between hitting the ball sort against the wall. Yeah. Okay. So well, that Squash was interesting. Kind of yeah. yeah. But there's always, they're always looking for new sports. Um, if, you know, if, if the interest is there, then um, the Pan Packs try to, try to run it and make it available, um, which is great. There was 13,000 competitors, and I think there was about another 7,000 supporters that also travelled and, and came. And a bucket load um, of volunteers. And a bucket load of volunteers. God bless the volunteers. You mm. cannot do it without them. Yep. Um, they, they, they are wonderful. Yep. And they, they do the hours and they, they always were there with a smile on their face and, and, and happy to help everybody. So they, they certainly are appreciated. Philo, it's been absolutely enjoyable having a chat to you and sharing that with us. And the bird in the background makes a lovely, um, nice atmosphere. <laughs> so well done for the bird. <laughs> <laughs> And it, you, <laughs> you keep up your great work. Sports convening must be a huge job, but uh, bring it on for next year and thank you for giving Absolutely. us your time. Not a problem at all. Thanks for having me. Good on you. Enjoy your weekend. Cheers. You Bye. too. That was Philippa Mingell, the Pan Pacific Masters Games sports convener. Now, before we go... Um, Vince, uh, you and I are in the Football Hall of Fame. Tell us what's happening there. Mm, so we've mentioned it, I think, a few times on your show during the year that uh, while there's been inductions over the last, you know, 25 years and so on that, that it's been existing, we've, we've always had the idea of having a, a physical Hall of Fame where we can actually display some of these items and have stories about some of our amazing players in Western Australia, men's and women's, and administrators and uh, coaches. So <clears throat> that's been a pretty big focus. I think longer term, you know, we're, we're still aiming for a, a big high-profile museum, whether it's joint uh, with the, the Wacker or something like that, where, where you've got a lot of sports museums. I mean, I think we'd love to see that. Uh, the WA Football um, New Development Centre may have a space. That's the long-term game. In the interim, what we've been working on is a 
is a lovely little spot in the WA Italian Club, which is going to be dedicated to the Hall of Fame, and we uh, are nearly there. I think anyone trying to do refurbishments or extensions in the last three years will know exactly what we're talking about, about constant delays of parts. But the WA Italian Club's been fantastic. They've been working away. We're probably a couple of months off from opening, and we'll be sending out messages. We're just working on finalising the dates early next year where we'll finally have the opportunity to open the doors to this new Hall of Fame where you'll be able to see some amazing memorabilia from... I think as far back as the, well, certainly, you know, the turn of the century when it started, but even a pair of boots from the 30s or 40s, perhaps. Bob Brown. Bob Brown. He's got everything that for him. Um, some amazing things like that, as well as uh, juniors. So you've got juniors, seniors, amateurs, women's, men's, uh, you name it. We're going to have a little display from each and it will be dynamic. It'll change all the time. We've got a lot of stuff. People have been fantastic donating. We'll get there. So keep listening out. When it's open, pop down to have a look and just, I guess, celebrate. It'll be free entry, obviously. Just celebrate to um, to enjoy football in, in Western Australia. And it's a great time to be a lover of the world the world game with the World Cup on and so on. So I think um, the Women's World Cup next year, we want to have that in place. That's what we're aiming for. It's a great 12 months for us here with, with football. Yeah, if you want to find out more information, there's a Facebook page. Facebook website. That's right. Yep. We're putting some updates of photos showing the, the room as it comes along now. We're, we're allowed in there again. It's not a building site anymore, so we can start <laughs> trying to, to put some of our, our memorabilia in there. And uh, as I said, we're still looking for donations. Some people, whether they're players themselves or administrators or their uncles were, their aunties were, uh, there's probably some amazing old memorabilia in, in attics somewhere in Western Australia and beyond. So if you do come across it, don't throw it out. We, we've had terrible stories of people, oh, yeah, I had that old cup my uncle won and yeah, I no. just threw that out so <laughs> we've heard that too many times to not to not want to hear it again so uh, have a look at the website and the Facebook you'll see some contact details and again uh, early next year we'll be having an opening function but that will then after that become open for the for the general public to uh, to celebrate the history of football in Western Australia Good on you Vince Dave I feel we've done most of the talking for you today Yes, you have actually. Yeah, uh, been, been difficult to get my, get a word in as you know. But uh, hey, it's okay. We do appreciate you coming in, Dave. And Not you can a problem. Come back. Yeah, I think we all make a pretty good team. <laughs> New team is in next week to talk football. World Cup is continuing. Len and Bags Groove is up next. Thank Guys, you. thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being in. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Go the Socceroos.